Here's a shocking stat. More than half of employees surveyed from around the world would consider leaving their job post-pandemic if they're not afforded some form of flexibility in where and when they work. Now, this is according to the EY 2021 Work Reimagined Employee Survey. But another survey, recently referenced by the World Economic Forum and conducted by Microsoft, titled, The Next Great Disruption is Hybrid Work, Are We Ready? They say, 41% of the entire global workforce is already considering handing in their resignation. Now, talent retention will have a huge effect on any company's ability to succeed in the next marketplace. And one of the key considerations today is affording employees that flexibility through hybrid work policies. Many feel that hybrid represents a great trade-off between the benefits of being in-person, which is typically linked with better innovation, creativity, and the ability to build culture, versus the benefits of not having to go into the office, which enables you to quietly work at home and avoid a painful commute. But the choices around how to structure that hybrid work are largely undecided. Think Lab data echoes this as we look at architecture and design firms' plans for their future, which could have profound effects on how business gets done in our industry. At the time of recording, which is summer 2021, we believe less than 25% of architecture and design firms are fully back in the office full-time, and that many remote and flexible practices learned from 2020 are actually here to stay. This will be the topic of our next hackathon, product specification in the hybrid era but more on that to come from ThinkLab. In the meantime, let's get to this episode's interviewee. One of our biggest predictions is that we believe a lot of companies will embrace hybrid and in the coming year. It just requires a lot more intentionality to get it right. The voice you just heard is remote evangelist Betsy Bula with GitLab. And yep, that's a real title, but it's not what you think. As her title suggests, she is in fact an evangelist for remote work. But she actually says, it's funny, I think people look at GitLab as all remote and they assume we're like purists, everyone has to do it this way. We really are trying to kind of break that mold of, of people thinking of us as, you know, it's our way or the highway kind of thing. No matter where you are on the spectrum of remote to hybrid, or even if you're looking for prompts to help you think more creatively about physical space as we enter this new hybrid era, this episode will help you really think through the implications not only for your own space and culture, but also for the spaces you're designing for. Welcome to season two of Design Nerds Anonymous, the podcast that sparks curiosity at the intersection of business and design. I'm your host, Amanda Schneider, founder and president at ThinkLab, the research division of Sandow Design Group and sister company to media brands you know and love like Interior Design, Metropolis, Lux, and more. At ThinkLab, our passion is sharing inspiration for your business, fuel for your design process, and connections with people and ideas for positive disruption. So, thanks for listening. We're glad you're here. Like episode three, this one will feel a little bit different from other episodes this season. We'll still have three chapters, but rather than hearing from different interviewees, you'll hear from Betsy on all three topics. Chapter one will cover benefits of remote work, and this will apply whether you plan to be fully remote or somewhere on the hybrid spectrum. Chapter two will cover why hybrid is the hardest. And in chapter three, we'll leave you with tangible ideas for building culture in the hybrid era. But first, let's meet Betsy. 
I'm Betsy Bula. I am GitLab's all-remote evangelist. GitLab is one of the world's largest all-remote companies. So we have more than 1,300 team members across 65 countries around the globe. And it's, it's really cool because every single person works remotely. The product is a DevOps tool for teams to collaborate more efficiently. Another huge piece of what our, our CEO sees as GitLab's legacy is, is really helping you know, the world adopt remote work. He wants to see that competitive advantage diminish over time because what that means is that other people are experiencing this too. We've seen remote work, I would say, jump ahead in awareness probably 10 years worth over the past year. But there are also a lot of things that many of us have not been able to experience in the past year that are huge benefits for remote work. I want to reiterate what she just said. Remote work has jumped in awareness 10 years over the past year, but you aren't seeing the full benefits just yet. It's not the same experience that many people have gone through in the past year with this forced work from home. Honestly, one of the most important foundations to sort of set when I'm talking with anyone about remote work is that what we have experienced in this past year, whether you were working remotely before this or not, is not remote work. It's forced work from home during a global pandemic. It's going to be stressful and difficult for everyone, whether you've done this before or not. And that's something that our leadership team has been really good about reiterating is that, yes, we've been doing this for years, but that doesn't mean that we're not experiencing unprecedented levels of isolation and, you know, different family obligations and, you know, even health issues. So we hope to see people kind of give it some time and, and be able to, to really embrace the full benefits of remote work post-pandemic too. Let's dive into chapter one, benefits of remote work. Currently, you might be thinking, as an organization in the design industry, shouldn't we be advocating for more physical space? And so I'll introduce the topic with this challenge. Remote work and the need for physical space are not mutually exclusive. In fact, if how we work fundamentally changes, it will increase the need for great design and creative thinking as we rethink our experiences in the spaces where we work, learn, heal, live, and generally experience life. I'll add innovative new products to fill those spaces that maximize creative space, flexibility, and user-generated agility. Ironically, as we free up from a set work location, it will put more pressure on those spaces to perform for our evolving needs. So let's hear from Betsy about three key benefits to remote working. Number one, it allows for agility. Remote work, not only just from the business standpoint, allows you to be more agile and flexible when things like pandemics happen, but also just in the everyday. It's, it's, for GitLab, it's a competitive advantage because we're able to hire around the world. And so we're not limited to, to a talent pool in one location. Number two, it creates an authentically diverse talent pool. This means our team is more authentically geographically diverse, and we've got a, a huge breadth of, of backgrounds on our team. It makes us better as, as a team as a whole. A great positive is just teams are going to be able to become more diverse. You know, we've got companies that are suddenly opening up their talent pipelines to locations all over the place. And you're bringing in voices that haven't necessarily been heard in the past and making your team more able to, to bring the best ideas to the table so that you're more creative in the end and not just you know, the same type of person all working on the same team. So I'm excited to see kind of what comes out of that too. Number three, 
Remote work allows you to build your work around life, not the other way around. It really gives you as a person the ability to build your work around your life, not the other way around. It allows you to have that autonomy in your day that lets you either pursue a hobby that you love or spend more time with your family or, you know, just be able to, to be a whole person rather than your kind of day and your week and your life being about your work. We try to not think about the place and not think about, okay, you're going to be working from your home office every single day and you're going to work these hours and, and really just break the mold of how people think about work because we've had a ton of team members who have really benefited, benefited even from working a nonlinear work day. So, you know, they might get up at 5 a.m. because they're an early bird and get a few hours of work done then and then spend their entire day, you know, out skiing or fishing or doing something outside or with their family or things that they love. And then they can come back online later in the day and they've probably worked even more than you would have had you gone into an office and, you know, sat down in a chair for eight hours and then left. So we, we really want to like rethink how people consider the relationship that work has in their lives. And it's really a challenge, I think, for all of us to think about how we can literally optimize our entire lives by just rethinking the way that we approach work. That's another exciting thing to think of in the future is that if so many people are thinking that way, you know, how much of a benefit is that going to be to our mental health and to communities and, you know, the way that we interact with each other? There's a lot of benefits to be had, and we just hope that people are going to be open-minded to embrace that. And while these benefits are great, few companies like GitLab are ready to go fully remote. The majority are considering something on the spectrum of hybrid. But to go remote, hybrid, or anywhere in between, it will fundamentally have to shift how we manage. Per Stanford professor Richard Bloom, there are two approaches to managing people. First, there's what economists would call input-based management. You can look at what they're doing. Do they seem to be at their desk, working hard, furiously typing away, appearing productive? Then... There's output-based management, which is you manage based on what they do. Do they hit their sales targets? Do they get the reports written? Do they produce new products? Now, if you're running an input-based management structure, working from a non-centralized office location, it could be a nightmare because you can't see what people are doing. Output-based management, on the other hand, is really better in general, but turns out to be essential if you want to have effective remote work policies. But as we'll learn in chapter two, hybrid is the hardest. So let's dive into chapter two. You know, they've learned in this past year that their work can get done from anywhere, even if it's not ideal in every case. And so they're going to be able to embrace that and have a more positive balance in their lives if they're supported by their companies to actually like put in those remote first practices and do it in the right way. I hope that we see these companies that embrace hybrid remote do it intentionally so that they can continue to scale that way because we don't want to see everyone do it in the wrong way and then have a bad experience and either have retention issues and and people going to different companies who are doing it well or the company ends up going all back into the office because they just kind of feel like it's not the right model for them. I feel like the world is talking hybrid right now. And and especially in our industry and even what we're hearing from a lot of these architecture and design firms about how they're going to be working. And it's probably easier to go fully remote or fully in 
But this hybrid is going to be the hardest to figure out. I haven't heard it stated that eloquently, but we're hearing a lot about this two-tier employee experience or equity in the physical and digital. Right now, we're all the same size Zoom square, but when there's three people in the office, now are they kind of the ones that are disadvantaged because their faces are this big and all the remote people are this big? Or is it the people that when those cameras go off, those three are in the office and, and there's an inequity created there? So talk to us a little bit about this two-tier employee experience and any advice you have to combat that? One of our biggest predictions is that we believe a lot of companies will embrace hybrid and in the coming year. And it is, it just requires a lot more intentionality to get it right. Let's hear three suggestions Betsy has for companies that are trying to go hybrid. Number one, get intentional and think ahead. It is possible to get it right. I just think we need companies that are going to embrace that to really think it through now and look at what those pitfalls are and try to address them ahead of time instead of kind of just going, trying to replicate the exact same culture and experience that you had when you were all in the office most days, but doing it where you have some people coming in and you may, you know, some companies I think are even saying, okay, you can have two days a week where you work remotely, but that really does, it it cripples employees from being able to do things like relocate for better quality of life or, you know, to be able to travel full time if they wanted to do that instead. Number two, document your culture. If you are embracing a hybrid organizational structure, we suggest things like, making sure that you have documented your culture and actually are authentic about what that culture is, whether or not the person is in the office. Because if you have a culture or a hiring process, for example, based on things like what it's like to be part of the in-office team every day, and then you're hiring someone remotely, you're going to give them kind of an inauthentic view of what it's actually like to work for your company. And then you experience things like retention issues once they're on board, and it's not actually what they experience in real life. I would say to avoid kind of having those two sets of teams, get the leaders out of the office, document the culture, choose the right tools, and then really like you have to kind of go from there and iterate and see what's going to work for you. Number three, and one that has huge implications on physical space, create equitable benefits. Another thing that we, we really want teams that are, are trying to embrace hybrid to, to think through is how you even create equitable benefits. For example, if your office had a gym in it, then how do you match that benefit for someone who works remotely full-time or most of the time? So there's just little things like that that I think retooling the way that you think about the employee experience and making sure that you don't end up with this. Some people have access to the leaders every day because they show up to the office with them and others are sitting there at home. And then there are things like your everyday practices. Like I'll sometimes encourage people to think about if they had to tomorrow go back to completely remote, what would the gaps be and where can they fill those in to try to make most of the experience, the remote experience with just some people who show up to the office some days. That way you're going to be more agile when that, when that does inevitably happen. And then also practices like meetings, making sure that your meeting hygiene is built for the remote team members to have the same experience. But the interesting thing about all three suggestions is even if you're going fully back into an office five days per week, All of these suggestions still apply. But let's dive deeper in our final chapter. Chapter three, tangible ideas for building culture in the hybrid era. Now at the end of this episode, we'll tell you how you can get the full remote working guide with many more ideas. But 
we want to highlight some of our favorites here. Spoiler alert, although she's giving us virtual strategies, many will have effects on the physical spaces we design as well. This first one, you heard a bit about from Noah Waxman with Cactus Design in episode four this season. Leverage asynchronous communication. We have really leaned in on things like our practice of asynchronous communication, which has been huge for our team this year. For people who have not worked asynchronously before, it's really the art of leaning more on documentation when you can to move work forward instead of having to rely always on a meeting. And so I think what a lot of companies did right when the pandemic started is they sort of took this immediate shift of basically replicating everything that would have happened in person and tried to make it virtual. And so it was just this recipe for Zoom fatigue and burnout and disaster because you really can't do that and have that scale for the long haul. We default to asynchronous communication, but there's really a happy medium that you have to reach between synchronous and asynchronous to be most efficient. Oftentimes, for example, we try not to have unnecessary meetings that could happen if you can document something in a project tool or in a central place like our our company handbook, which you can find it's public and anyone can access it. We try to document there and then avoid having meetings for everything. But there are also is a huge benefit to having a meeting to do things like kick off a project or just for relationship building. So we try to find that balance of Maybe you have a synchronous meeting or call to kind of build rapport with the team that you're working with. And then you can discuss as a group, how do we want to handle this going forward? Should we work on X, Y, and Z asynchronously and then come back together at this later point? Having that balance removes you from having all these conversations about, wow, that meeting could have been an email, which people have talked about for years and never really done anything about it. So asynchronous communication and a heavy level of documentation enables that. Really the foundation of it is that documentation, documenting everything from how you communicate with one another, what your culture is, how you want to be known externally, how you want to communicate with your clients. Having that all written down is going to help you actually be able to to have fewer meetings. Number two, create a communication hierarchy to clarify how to use the tools at your disposal. It's almost not even the tool itself. It's how you use the tool. An example is that a lot of teams, I think, end up doing work in their chat tool, and that's really not scalable. If you use Slack, for example, you end up having to find conversations that are old and outdated and having trouble finding those later on. And it just kind of segments your work across multiple places. So what we suggest is actually repurposing your chat tool for informal communication. We have public channels for almost anything under the sun, whether it's like dogs, for parents, travel. We have one that's called juice box chat so that people's kids can get together. So I would just kind of challenge people to rethink how you use your tools and make sure that you're doing it in a way that's not, you know, where you have one team that operates in this tool and the other uses this project tool. And for people who are curious how GitLab does this, you're welcome to find our handbook page on it. If you search GitLab communication, you'll find a lot of the ways that we've documented how we use Slack and the Google suite and Zoom and and how they kind of all work together. Number three, and my favorite, as it really may help us think more creatively about how to redesign space for when we do gather, remove the office from the equation. 
This one's difficult because I think every, it's different for every company. For GitLab, we, first of all, will tell you that there is just like synchronous and asynchronous. There's a balance between in-person meetings and virtual meetings that is, is most effective. We will not tell you that we think you should do everything remote. We also try to encourage people to really remove the office from the equation and, and rework their thinking about how they collaborate and get work done. I think if you are focused on the fact that you've always used a whiteboard, for example, for collaboration, you know, a lot of our designers historically had done that in previous companies. But if you kind of rethink that and strip back the layers of what you're hoping to achieve from that session and then figure out ways that, okay, we're operating asynchronously or operating virtual, are we still achieving those same outcomes, even if it's different than what we're used to? Some of it is kind of breaking your comfort zone of what you've always done and rethinking it in a different way where you're still gonna reach that same outcome. In fact, it might even be more inclusive of other people and different learning styles. It's certainly more scalable because you're able to actually document what you're whiteboarding instead of just having it erased after the meeting. We try to encourage people to think of the office as just another venue to get work done. But if you're going to be a hybrid team and you're planning to still keep your office space, Try to, again, focus on how the work will get done and how your team will communicate with each other and not where. So if you actually remove that where from the equation, then whether you go back into the office or you go hybrid or you go all remote, the work can still get done and people know how it operates no matter where they're actually physically sitting that day. So we've encouraged companies to, if, if they're going to keep the office, to think of it as just that, you know, just like someone's home, it is another venue where they've chosen to work for that day. If the culture of your company is not based on that physical space, then you're able to have that hybrid team work more effectively and not create sort of the, the two-tier employee experience that I think some hybrid teams are gonna face this year. With a hybrid team, you know, making that experience better, we encourage them to really get leaders out of the office because that demonstrates a commitment to remote work. Document your culture so that new people coming in and current team members can remember how you wanna see people act. And then figuring out all those tools is really important. Now I wanna address some of the biggest challenges our industry is hearing about in this era of hybrid and remote. I'd say the top three are burnout, creativity, and mentorship. We've already heard from Betsy that one of the reasons we're facing burnout is that what we've experienced over the last year is not true remote work. In addition to childcare issues and health concerns, we've been overly reliant on an overabundance of Zoom meetings without reframing and setting virtual and asynchronous collaboration rules. But let's dive into the other two, creativity and mentorship, and hear what Betsy has to say. Some of our design teams lean on things like they'll pair designers, and this kind of speaks to your mentorship question. We'll do things like pair designers for a couple of months. And so those designers work together often, even if they're just co-working on the same call, they might sort of act, it like mimics the experience of having somebody whose shoulder you can tap in the office and ask them a question. So they might be working on two different projects, but if they're, you know, on the same call and kind of co-working together, they're able to bounce ideas off of each other and and have some of that like more serendipitous conversation and idea creation that that you would typically get if you were sitting in a conference room or sitting behind each other in an office. And we actually do have a number, we have a whole guide in our all remote guides about collaboration and whiteboarding and ways that you can do that virtually. So you can also find that one by searching collaboration GitLab handbook. As we bring this episode to a close, 
let's get to some positive predictions about our future. And one that I think many of you will be exceptionally passionate about, how hybrid work helps us invest in our communities. There are also a lot of positive predictions that we often talk about that we hope to see in the coming year and and beyond is that I think we're going to see a lot of cities reinvigorated by remote work being embraced because people aren't traveling for business as much. They're going to be embracing more virtual options for meetings. They're going to be able to invest more in their communities and, and really building a great place to live as well. And then we also think there's just going to be a spread of opportunity. So people in locations where they might have before had to relocate for a great career can now stay where they are and still have access to awesome job opportunities. The 2021 playbook is hot off the presses this past week, and it's really going to help teams of all types, all industries, and really whether they're embracing all remote or fully going back into the office, it gives teams like everywhere on that spectrum, some really tangible tactics that they can use to think about the future of work for their, for their organization. I'd encourage anyone to download it. It's allremote.info is our landing page where you can find it and download it for free. And it condenses like 50 plus remote guides that we have on our website that I've mentioned a few times into one resource. So it's a great kind of bite-sized place to start for anyone who just wants to learn more. To close out this episode, I want to thank our season two sponsors, Mannington Commercial and Keelhauer. And we hope you'll join us for next week's episode as we dive into the future of the client experience. But in the meantime, I want to invite you to really consider how this hybrid world may affect the ecosystem that surrounds design. ThinkLab is proud to be on the verge of releasing our 2021 Hot Market Growth Report. This annual study aggregates Think Lab research and triangulates insights from other sources, ranging from construction data to leasing trends to economic insights. Then we translate that to a visually compelling, simple report that highlights three key areas. Number one, hot geographic growth for the coming year. Number two, hot vertical market growth for the coming year. And number three, hot product category growth. And that's for our product partners. While 2021 marks our second annual report, our goal is that this report is on your desk as you plan for each coming year. This report is the cornerstone of a new subscription model called ThinkLab Insider. Want to know more? Head on over to the ThinkLab website at thinklab.design backslash insider dash program, or simply sign up for the ThinkLab newsletter to be the first to be informed when the latest version of this annual report launches. Special thanks in this episode to Hannah Vitti, our audio intern from last season, now turned producer for all Sandow Sister Company podcasts, including The Mike from NYC by Design and Deep Green from Metropolis. And thanks to Blue Dot Sessions for the music.